0: If we live our days in thanks, God's grace just flows all the more. So I'm thankful today, and I'm I'm thankful for uh, what he's given me for this week to share with you. And this came off of uh, the tale of Jonah. We talked about Jonah the last two weeks, and one of the great messages of Jonah is that God cares for stubborn, rebellious people, and then ultimately God cares. He puts us on track. If we're off track and we allow him, he'll put us back on on track, and this really is a glorious truth of the gospel, so I wanted to explore that more today, the fact that God cares, because often we don't feel like he cares, right? I mean, all of us get into this situation sometimes where it seems like, hey, what's going on? But you know, this is the whole point of Jesus came to that manger on Christmas because he cared for this world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish God cared. He didn't want us to perish, but that we should have everlasting life. So, praise the Lord that we have a God that cares for us, that wants to have a relationship with us. Idols don't care for you. Allah doesn't care for you. And the devil, well, he'll act like he cares for you for a little bit, and he'll lead you along, and then he'll stab you in the back. And then even our founding fathers of this nation, you know, some of them were Christians, but many of them were what we call deists. And they held a philosophy of deism. Deism is a belief that God created things, set things in order, and then took his hands off and just let it go. Kind of like a, a clockmaker wound up the clock, and now we're just running down as as time goes on. And that's a faulty philosophy, a faulty worldview, a faulty... Biblical view, because that is not the picture of God in the Bible. God is very much involved in our lives. He's very much involved in this world. And deism just says, well, he's, he's not involved. He doesn't care. The glorious thing is that God cares. Now, I, uh, I went to Bulgaria a few years ago. It had a great trip, great time of ministry in Bulgaria. got really excited on my way home. I was on a flight, and uh, we were making a connection in Germany. And I met this lady who was making the same connection. I said, "Where have you been?" She says, "Oh, I went to Italy. I went to Greece, and I saw this, this, this." And and uh, I said, "Well, why didn't you go to Bulgaria?" And she said, "Bulgaria? Well, what's famous to see in Bulgaria?" And I thought, "Well, I don't know. I, you know, I just had such a great time there. I guess there's. I saw a castle. I guess that wouldn't be enough to be a tourist draw." And uh, I thought about it afterwards. I thought, you know, you know. God cares for people in these areas that most people don't want to go to. That's why we have missionaries going to all these different parts of the world. I loved going to Bulgaria, and it was because God cares. And when we went to the remote parts of China, we went into some of the most remote remote corners of the world, it was all because God cares. God cares so much that he moves people, his people, to go to places that other people might avoid. There's no draw there, but... There's a draw because the heart of God cares. And that's a a glorious thing. And he cared so much that he moved Christ to come to this earth to suffer the toil and corruption, to leave his heavenly comforts and glory for a season, and to go through hunger, thirst, tiredness, bleeding, sweating, suffering, you name it. But he came because he cared. And so that's a generalization. God cares for the world, but he also cared for you and me, he sent messengers into our lives to share this good news with us. And uh, everyone here, he cares enough to bring you into a church where you've heard the truth preached for so long. And, and somewhere along the line, you know, God sent someone into my life to preach the truth. He cares. He doesn't want to see us on that track. But we get into this place when the seasons are dry or worse that we can be tempted to feel like he doesn't care. And the disciples were in that same boat. We, we looked at Jonah, how Jonah slept in a storm. We're going to look at uh, Jesus here sleeping in a storm in Mark chapter 4. And it's verse 35 to 41. And I'll just read through it. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him and that he is for us and not against us, that he wants to communicate, he wants to have a relationship with us? Who is this great one who can control the elements of the weather and yet he cares for us. But that's not what they were feeling at that time. And so I often ask this question, what, you know, why did Jesus rebuke them for not having faith? Weren't they going to the right one? They weren't going to Allah to ask for help. They weren't going to the Hindu gods or any idols. They weren't doing anything superstitious. They were going to the right person and you know we would think that's a, that's faith right we and we go to the right person many times or we should and he says but that's not f- being faith you're fearful why are you fearful where is your faith so i was wondering about that and i came up with some answers that i believe pointed to the the problem So we're going to look at that and see where that fits in our lives. Are we in line with faith? Not just going to the right person. We've got that one down. We're in the right place. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You are in the right place, and that is faith. But there's more to faith. There's faith that you have to exercise when you're in a storm. Anybody go through any storms lately? (laughs) You know, this this, uh, word about storms here. Uh, that was on the Lake of Galilee, and the commentators tell us that uh, storms could come up out of the blue, all of a sudden, out of nowhere. I mean, you could have a day that looks like today, blue sky and everything, and then out, all of a sudden the storm comes up, although it wasn't a blue sky they were going through. It was nighttime. So it was nighttime, and the storm came out of nowhere suddenly, and that's kind of like life. Storms come up suddenly. You're not prepared for it sometimes. And and nighttime, it seems like we're going through a period of darkness. And what's going on here? Well, Jesus is able to still the storm. He said to the storm, peace, be still. But now, when he said peace, that word for peace was not what we usually say the word for peace is. It was a different word. Usually, we're talking about shalom and that's what he says to us. He speaks peace to us. But to the storm, the word for peace there means be silent. Or in more uh, colloquial terms, it would be hush. Hush. Be silent. Be quiet. Quiet, you. Be still. Peace, be still. Be still means be muzzled. And in colloquial terms, you might say shut up. Okay? So he was rebuking this storm. He was rebuking the storm, which tells us that this storm was not sent by God the Father. This was not something that God was trying to put them back on track like Jonah. This was not something to teach them a lesson. This was an attack from the wrong source. You know, the devil has some control over the weather, it seems. And so Jesus told it to hush and shut up. He speaks to these storms in that rebuking terms, but he speaks to us peace, shalom. And he never told us that we wouldn't have storms in life. He said in this world you will have tribulations, John 16:33. But be of good cheer, I have overcome. I have overcome the world. So he speaks peace to us. So can we have faith when that storm comes? What what if the storm hits us and and it seems like he's sleeping. You know, before he spoke to that storm, it looked like he was sleeping. So one of the reasons I believe that there was a lack of faith here is because the disciples, and we also at times, the disciples were concentrating more on the storm, more on what was seen, more on the circumstances, and they began to panic rather than go to the one who was there and taking rest in the fact that He was with them. Jesus was in the boat. And we have a lot to do with believing in things that we cannot see. We've already talked about things unseen. But if they knew the word, and I'm sure they knew this psalm from Psalm 121, um, they would know a truth that would have helped them through this storm. It says, He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is at your right hand. That's a powerful word. And that is the spiritual truth. The Lord does not slumber. He does not sleep. He keeps us. He keeps his people. He keeps you in the shade at your right hand. And that's something that could have comforted the the disciples. When you are confronted with something that looks threatening, you have to rest in what has been revealed that is comforting. When you've been confronted with something that looks threatening, you have to learn to rest in what is revealed that is comforting. What was revealed through the word is that the Lord doesn't sleep, even though in the natural Jesus was asleep, but spiritually speaking, they could rest in what has been revealed. The Lord keeps you. He doesn't slumber. And also, they had a word. They had a word from Jesus. Jesus had told them, let us go to the other side. Let us pass on to the other side. And that could have been something they could have rested on. Now, again, it's so easy that we forget what the word says. But really, this whole book is telling us, let us pass on to the other side. Life is a journey. Right now, it is nighttime and storms come once in a while. But the book tells us that we are passing on to the other side. We as believers are on a journey. We are on a path. Someone wrote a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. We are not living in this world. We are strangers in this world. We are pilgrims on a journey. And sometimes on that journey, there is going to be some storms and some waves to overcome. And he gives us the word. Let us pass on to the other side. Well, you know, I didn't hear him speak in the word. He's got all kinds of promises in the book for whatever storm you're in, whatever you're confronted with, when you're confronted with something that looks threatening, you rest in what is revealed that is comforting. And there's a whole book we can go through. Wh- whatever is facing you right now, there is an answer, and Jesus has the answer. All the promises of God are yes and amen in him. So you have to know the book. That's why we read the Bible, not as a religious duty, but to get what the Lord's heart is, to get what his provision is, and to understand that we're in his hands, and that even when these things come, you know, he gave the parable, the the wise and the foolish builders, the wise builder built on the rock so that when the storms hit, he'd still have that foundation. But the foolish builder built on the sand. He didn't have the rock of Christ. He didn't have the word. He didn't go according to what is spoken here, but just what seemed easiest at the time, get it up, be pragmatic, and take care of business. And then when the storms hit, hit there, was, there was a problem. So knowing the word and praying and asking the God during a storm, what is the word? And it reminds me of a time. Now, this is a way back in China story, but we were helping some Chinese brothers start a farm project in Myanmar, which used to be called Burma. So I call it Burma, it's easier to say, than Myanmar. But I would drive these guys down in my Jeep, you know, several times to bring supplies to the Burma border. But I would never go over the Burma border because us foreigners weren't allowed to go. It was, you know, there was just no way to get over there. So the Chinese could go because they had a special permission, special visa permit or whatever. It was a special economic zone for them. And so they were building this farm project, and they were going to do, their church was going to rotate. They were going to send missionaries every three months to live over the border in Burma to build church and to teach at a school, make a school for some of the needy kids in the village. And it was an awesome thing. And I felt so privileged to be a part of it, just to help them. I had this great Jeep that we went through mountains and mud all the time on, and I got to take them down to the border, help them carry goods down from the city, and then they would meet people at the border, and they'd go across, and I'd wait for them, they'd come back the next day, and I'd take them back home. And every time, my brother, my Chinese brother Samuel, would say to me, come on, you can come with us, you need to see the farm." And I said, no, 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 that's not not good. I can't do that, you know, foreigners can't. Oh, he said, don't worry, you know, you'll be okay. I said, no. And we, we have a special way. There'd be a checkpoint that you go through, and uh, I could not get past the checkpoint. But he'd say, well, we go through the mountains. You don't have to go through the checkpoint. I said, no, sorry, I'm not interested. Well, I was interested, but I just, that wasn't what I wanted to do, and I sh- shouldn't do it, actually. But over and over, he started to wear me down. He said, come on, you've got to see the farm. Because he'd tell me stuff about it, and I'd be bringing them down all the time, and I thought, I really have a vested interest in this farm. I really would love to see this and everything. And uh, one time I brought him down, and he said, come on, you got to come. So I was praying in my room and asking the Lord, Lord, I know... I know it's not good for me to go over there, but could it be that you want me to see this farm project? I mean, after all, I've been invested in this, and they keep asking me. He never lets up. Should I go? And I really sensed the Lord speaking to me from the very Psalm we just read, Psalm 121. The last verse says, The Lord will preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And that just dropped into my heart, and I thought, okay, you know, I'll go this one time. i got to see this. I don't know if it was the right thing. I felt like that was the Lord. He gave me that, that word. And uh, I asked the brothers, I said, how far is it? Oh, it's not far. And we go through the mountains. I go, okay. So I was driving them through the mountains. Not far. It was only three hours drive through the <laughs> mountains. It's always, oh, it's just a little bit further. Well, two hours later, a little bit further, and then three hours later. But this was the worst, most dangerous roads I've ever been on, high mountains with drop-offs to either side, and a lot of steep inclines where I was just praying that my brakes are still working as we go down them, and mud, it was hard to get through spots and around these curves, and I'm telling you, I got gray hair by the time I came, and we ended up crossing this river, this little, I guess you'd call it a Ford, (laughs) but the Jeep went through a Ford, hey, think about that one, um, went across this little river into this village, and I was so shook up from this three-hour drive, and I thought, how are we ever going to get back? And uh, it was awful. And then we, from the place that we parked, we hiked another half hour or so to get to the village. And then once I got to the village, then it was like everything changed. It was you know, da, 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 da. It was so beautiful, and it was peaceful, the butterflies, and I, there was even one spot I could stand to get a cell phone signal and call Jennifer from. And only that one spot, but there wasn't any electricity, and I had to be careful because it was going out. And uh, for two days, I was a farmer. I helped farm, and it was just so wonderful, and it was such a blessing to be there. And we are going to leave on the third morning. That night... In a bamboo hut, I'm awakened, and the hut starts shaking, and I'm hearing this noise—this <laughs> loud whistling noise. I can't say it, do it right. I can't, I can't whistle right now. My lips are dry. But just think that it's whistling, the hut is shaking, and I've got stuff laid out at the end of my little cot that I'm sleeping on, and I'm thinking, is this roof gonna blow away? What's going on? And I started getting nervous, and I started to get my stuff together because I didn't want it to blow away with the roof and I started getting really nervous because I thought this sounds like a storm is coming and it's whistling and shaking the hut and I started to get panicky like the disciples in that boat but I had a little bit more knowledge than they had because now I've, I know the story we have the Bible they didn't have everything we have I knew that greater is in me than he that is in the world and I, I was a believer in speaking to your mountain and the Lord being an authority over even the weather. So I sat up in my bed after panic. I said, wait a minute. And I shouted, peace, be still. And like that, boom, it stopped whistling. And everything stopped shaking. And I was like, really, that worked? <laughs> and I thought, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you. And I laid back down. And about five minutes later, then I heard another noise. And it just went, plop. Plop, 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 plop. And it got faster and heavier, and the rain started to pour. And I started, the first thought I had was panic, 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 because I thought, those roads that we came on, no, no, we can't have any rain. And, and, and then I got more nervous, and it got heavier rain, and finally the, the, the idea hit me again. Wait a second. So I sat up in bed, And I spoke to that rain. I said, in the name of Jesus, peace, peace still. But apparently the rain was a little bit harder of hearing (laughs) because it kept coming. Plop, plop, plop. And then it started getting worse and heavier. And I I tried again and worse and heavier. You say, well, you're foolish for for speaking. like One out of two ain't bad, right? (laughs) Uh, But I just started to get in a panic because there I was in a place I probably shouldn't have been I could get in trouble. I could go to jail. And now the roads that were so difficult to get into this place would be impossible with the rain pouring down and and all that. And it kept pouring. And you can imagine how well I slept that night. No, Jonah slept better than Rick. (laughs) And Peter slept better when he was in prison. And uh, I, I wasn't there. I was too busy going over all the scenarios of what might happen Well they're going to catch me I'm going to go to jail I'll never see Jennifer and the kids again And I should have never come here And oh I'm so This must be a, a terrible mistake Sorry Lord And and I deserve this and, all the, and, and I was so shook up And all the while I'd forgotten That the Lord gave me a word From Psalm 121 I will preserve your going out And coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What if I had just rested on that? What if I had just rested on the fact that Jesus is in the boat with me, that God cares for me, and that uh, somehow we'd be okay? And, but, you know, I still thought, but maybe I was in disobedience. Maybe I shouldn't have been over here. But God is a God of grace and mercy, and uh, and it's not going to do any good to doubt and panic, even if you are in the wrong. The only way that's going to get you out of a situation is by faith. And that's where I wish I would have been. And from that point on, I can tell you I've grown in that. I haven't totally arrived at that spot where I can be perfect in a storm like that. But I'm further along than I was back then. Because I learned from that. And he got me out. Obviously, I got out. It stopped raining that morning. And it was a tropical area. So we just left later on in the day. Uh, because the tropical area would dry up some of the rain and things. But I'll tell you what. As we were leaving, I had a a jeep full of passengers, and at times I had to ask them to get out of the jeep, everyone, until I get around this mountain curb, and then I'd get around this mountain muddy curb, and then they'd come walk around, get back in the jeep again, and we could move on. I'll tell you what. I just, you know, if I look older than I am, it's because of that time there. (laughs) But even... So, God got me through, even when I wasn't in faith in that experience. But one of the lessons He showed me was from this passage in Mark. You know, if I would have just rested in the Word and what's not seen, not focusing on the storm, but on who is in my boat, Jesus, I might have slept a little bit that night. Maybe not perfectly, but I might have. And actually, I won't, you know, we could go on. I did have another opportunity to practice this. And it worked out better that time. But that's another time, another story. But um, that was one of the reasons he rebuked the disciples. And the biggest reason, I believe, comes to this point of does God care? They came to Jesus and said, don't you care? We are perishing. And this is the crux of this matter You never say that God doesn't care. It is a lack of faith to believe that he doesn't care. But we have all kinds of opportunities because storms spring up. We're in the night. Jesus has said, let us pass on to the other side. But it's night. We can't see clearly sometimes. The storms come in. And when the storms come, you know who's surfing on those waves? The devil. And the devil starts to bring the lies. Oh, no, you blew it. Oh, no, God's not with you now. Oh, no, there is no hope for you. You're finished. Oh, no, what's so-and-so going to say? Oh, no, how are you going to make it this time? You're not. You're done. It's over. These are the kind of things the devil whispers in our ears. The devil, whether he brings the trial or not, however the trial comes, storms come because we're in a broken world, and... Whatever the cause of these storms, it's the devil that comes in and fills your head with lies. And the biggest lie in all those lies I just quoted is that God doesn't care. He doesn't care. And so you panic and you start to uh, fall apart and you don't know how to move forward. It's because you're believing lies that the devil has been using on this occasion And, you know, we are on guard. As Christians, we can be on guard. If I asked you to go and steal some money when that person's not looking, you're pretty good. You'd you'd say, no, get behind me, Satan. You know, if if I told you to go tell a lie, you'd probably say, no, get behind me, Satan. You know how to resist certain sins without a problem. But you don't know how to resist sometimes your mind and your attitudes that are going into anxiety, fear, depression, insecurity, the belief that God doesn't care, and worry. Then the worries come up. And then the inertia. You can't move because these lies are holding you down. And we need to learn to resist these things just as if we were resisting the temptation to lie or steal or kill or something. That's easy enough to say, no, I know it's Satan. But sometimes... He comes in on these thoughts and these these things, these attitudes of our hearts, and we don't realize that he's just manipulating us. And we need to learn to say no. We need to speak to our storms. Peace, be still. Hush, be muzzled. And so Satan is whispering these things, and you're thinking it's over, and how am I going to get through this? No, I'm not going to think on these things. Hush, be muzzled, Satan. And... You know, Jesus spoke shalom to us. And in John 14:27 he says, Peace I give to you, and not as the world gives do I give to you. But let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, here's the thing. We, we allow these storms to come in, and then our hearts start to get carried away with the lies of the devil when he says that we have some control. We can say no. You know, our heart can deceive us. People say, follow your heart your heart can lead you in a wrong direction. You need to measure things, again, according to the word. Jesus said, let us go to the other side, and he's not going to let us sink. And so that's what we have to do. We have to watch our hearts, and we speak to the storms. We say, no, I'm not going there. I wake up in the middle of the night, starting to worry, no, I'm not going there, because I know that Jesus is in my boat. So what happens when you can't, Still the storm, and well, you know it doesn't seem to be working. Well, then you cast your cares on the Lord. And you, if you can't still the storm, you cast your cares. First Peter five seven, and here's the whole thing. He cares for you. There it is in writing. But Jesus rebuked the disciples. They said, "Don't you care?" They should have known by now. They'd seen Jesus rebuke the devil. They'd seen Jesus heal, heal the sick they know that Jesus taught that he goes after the one sheep. He leaves the ninety-nine for the one. He cares enough to leave the ninety-nine for the one. He cares enough as a, as a father loving a prodigal son who the son insulted him, squandered his inheritance, and yet he cares enough to look for him and watch him. The Psalms say that his thoughts towards us are as the grain of sand. In Isaiah 49:15 and 16, it says... Can a mother forget her suckling baby? No, but even if she forgets, the Lord can't forget. Behold, your names are engraven on my palms. Your walls are ever before me. Don't say that Jesus doesn't care. Yeah, but then why didn't he fix my situation? Why did he let me get into this thing? Why didn't he? Why, why, why this? Well, I wish I could give you a pat answer, but the the truth is, This world is a fallen world, and we make mistakes, and there's a devil out there, and there are things that happen. And for some reason, because God cares for us, he sees fit to let this world go its course in certain measures. But that doesn't mean that he's not deeply involved in how he can use whatever storms have hit us and bring us to the other side. We are all going to the other side. And it may be that there are reasons that he hasn't shown himself to be awake. You know, he works by certain laws of faith. People aren't going to get saved if they don't respond to his invitation. You know, he would like to save everyone, but you have to respond. There is help in the word, but you have to respond. There is, uh, there is a future, there is a hope, there's vindication. He is so caring that he wants to be with you, in the trial. That's what we learn all throughout the scriptures. And then he cares so much that he's going to be the tear wiper when it's all said and done. There may be a reason that you've gone through what you're going through. He says, Let us go to the other side. He has something for us on the other side. And even the things that we have struggled with, the whys and the whats, could even be a way he's showing care because he didn't fix them immediately. He's preparing you, he's preparing something, he's preparing glory. Paul said that I consider not my sufferings to be anything compared to the glory that will be revealed in the end. Romans 8.18. So never be argued out of the fact that God cares for you. And if you can get to this place where you're not argued out of it, then nothing's going to stop you. The wind and the rain, the storms that come up suddenly aren't going to stop you because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And he is the one that can speak to the storms and still them, and he will. It says in Psalm 34, 19, that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. It may not be exactly when and where you want it, but it will happen. You will be delivered. He is a God of hope, as we talked about And guess what? That passage, Romans 15, 13, there's joy and peace in believing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The joy and the peace don't just come magically upon you. And God doesn't just magically fix things waving a magic wand. That's why we, we say, well, he didn't fix something. He must not care. No, it doesn't work that way. There has to be an act of faith, there has to be believing. And that's when you say, nothing's going to argue me out of this fact that God cares. If he cared for Jonah, who was running in the wrong direction and got him out of the lowest, deepest, darkest pit that any human being has ever been in, you can't go lower than where Jonah was, except Jesus did. And Jesus went lowest into the grave, down into the shoal, to hell, whatever your theology is, is, and he was raised up, and because he lives... We can't go any further than any of that. And even if we did go further, we have the resurrection power and the hope and the promise that many are the afflictions of the righteous and the Lord delivers him from them all. We've got the hope and promise that he's going to wipe away every tear in glory. And when Jesus Christ appears, you too will appear with him in glory. But it's not going to happen unless you're believing and you're saying, well, I can't even believe. Well, if you're holding on, That's all you need. You grab hold of your lifesaver when you're drowning, right? I'm not talking about a little candy, but the lifesaver. And that keeps you from drowning. If you're holding on, you hold on to the life savior, Jesus. Because of Jesus, you cannot sink. And he's more than just a life savior. He's in your boat if you'll let him. Will you let him? He cared so much that he came to fix this problem and this Thing that you went through in the past and, and what you're going through today and all of this, it's all temporary as we go to the other side. And you can go to the other side hobbling and limping and dragging and thinking, does God care? Or you can say, nope, he's left us this message. He's left, left us his son. He's left us his spirit. He wouldn't have gone through everything that he went through if he didn't care. And we wouldn't be where we are today if he didn't care. Every day is thanksgiving, like I say. You can tell he cares in many ways if you're just looking for it. If you open your eyes to it, you'll see it. The last verse in Mark chapter 4, verse 41, he had stilled the storm, and it says, they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? He is the one who can get you out of your fix, who can help you accomplish what he's called you to do. But we can take this even further than the disciples because uh, in in Psalm 8, I believe it says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who can this be that even the wind and sea obey him? Who can this be that he even cares for us? I mean the wind and the sea obey him, he created everything. What is man that you are mindful for him? The son of man that you that you have knowledge of him, that you want to have a relationship with us, that you cared so much that you died for us, and that you were patient with us. We talk about why doesn't he fix something? You know, are we waiting for him? You know, he waited for us as we abandoned him, as we went the other direction, as we were rebellious and stubborn, he he waited for us. Can we wait for him? Can we trust that he cares? Can we trust that he will still the wind and the sea? What manner of man is this that he can do this, but that he cares for us? And we come full circle. He's not like the idols. He's not like Allah. He's not like the devil who pretends, but will stab you in the back. Instead, he's the one that wants to have a relationship with us. And when you realize that he cares so much for you and me, how can you not care for him? This is the key. You want to care for the things of the Lord. Be convinced. Don't be argued out of the fact that God cares for you. And in the coming days, you're going to be tempted to. In the coming days, things aren't going to get better out there. But the thing that's going to keep us steady and victorious is to know and not budge. This is my story. I'm sticking with it. God loves me. God cares for me. And Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for your care for us. We thank you that you are intimately involved in each life here. And that you you have promised things that we can be abound in hope with and not fear. So in the days to come, especially as we celebrate Christmas, Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have, for the light of the world that lights up the darkness and and for the lighthouse of Jesus that alerts us to the storms and helps us get past them. So I pray for each person here, Lord, as we go to the other side, that you would just encourage and bless and empower in these times and that we could celebrate and be joyful even when things don't look like you're awake. We know that you are and that you come through every time.